this is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. summer intern here in the office. She's going to lend some perspective by way of her college experience and how the uh, finance side of uh, college affected her and uh, what she might do different uh, now that she's got some experience in that. And hopefully uh, uh, if you uh, have loved ones or uh, friends or if you yourself are in college, you can benefit from her experience. We also have Mitch in the, uh, the booth as well. Um, so hopefully the, uh, the, the takeaway for people is that they have a better understanding of the kind of monetary and financial challenges that college students go through and also the challenges that um, parents and caregivers of college students uh, might face and even things that they might not have thought about. So Hannah, for starters, tell us a little bit about the, the transfer process, because that was probably one tactic that you used, which probably ended up saving a fair amount of money. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So when I did the transfer process, I really did it just because, I mean, obviously you save a lot of money when you're going to community college versus the four-year program. I really definitely noticed that, I mean, I cut my expenses almost in half. I was able to live at home. I was able to obviously spend much less in tuition. I was able to choose like where I was living, which was really great. I mean, anybody that's taking this process, they can choose less expensive housing, even if it's not just at home. And the, the transfer process that Hannah is referring to is starting at uh, Madison College uh, for the first two years and then transferring into UW. Um, fairly well-known uh, path, I would say, although um, maybe not as utilized as as uh, probably should be utilized. Um, you know, kind of talk to us, Hannah, about um, if you had to do it again, would you follow the same path? And, um, you know, are there any negatives to that path that you can think of? Definitely, yeah. If I had the opportunity to do it again, I absolutely would. I think that it really let me ease into the whole college experience as well, which was kind of cool. Um, I definitely noticed the the big jump in expenses when I did move to UW-Madison. Not only the tuition expenses, but living downtown. I mean, the food, the, tu- the, the tuition, obviously, and then also just the housing. It's just absolutely everything is completely different. One of the things that is definitely important to keep in mind when you're transferring to a bigger school is those credits that you're transferring. It's important when you're at that two-year university to make sure that the credits that you're taking are going to transfer to that four-year university. Because, I mean, obviously, if you have to retake those credits, you're really not saving very much money. You're just going to be taking them all over again and spending more. That's huge. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of people don't realize that, and they 
make sure you're going to your advisor and making sure that they are going to transfer. So and did you lose any credits going from Madison College to UW? I did not. The okay. only credits that I lost were ones that I took in high school. So everything that I took at Madison College transferred directly to UW-Madison. And one of the intangible, potential intangible benefits, and maybe you could talk a little bit about this with your personal situation, but with the transfer process, that gives you maybe a, a couple extra years in really determining where you wanted to take your career. Because some people, when they when they start at a community college or a tech college, it gives them that extra buffer that's needed. Because sometimes if they go to a, a big-time four-year state university, there's the pressure to, to make a decision and declare earlier on, maybe rather than <laughs> figuring out what you actually want to do and then declaring a major. So could you talk a little bit about that from an intangible, not, not just a financial perspective, but one of those intangible considerations? Yeah, so it's actually funny that you ask because two weeks before I entered college, I was actually enrolled at UW Oshkosh. And I went to their orientation and they had me decide my major that day. So before classes even started, before we were even choosing classes, I had to choose my major. I had no idea what I wanted to do at this point, which was a crazy thought. So I had my major picked out. What was and it? It was psychology. So very glad that I didn't end up with that since that obviously isn't what I was passionate about. Um, so it was definitely a scary experience to go into that four-year environment and they're automatically making you choose that major that you want to go into. So when I transferred and went to MITC instead, I was able to actually, like you said, take that those buffer years where I was still taking all of the same classes that anybody else was taking, those general education, the electives. So I was able to actually narrow that down and really decide what I wanted to do. I was getting a, a wide view of the education. So let's switch a little bit in, into the uh, kind of the finance aspect of what you faced. Um, we'll, we'll get a, a few things out of the way, first of all. So did you take any student loans um, in, the, in the process of getting your degree? I did not take a single student loan, no. Okay, so you worked in college, is that right? Yep, I was a full-time student. I, because of the transfer process, I was able to, to limit all of my expenses, so I was fortunate enough to not take any loans. Okay, so of the experience that you had with friends and, and um, um, you know, your, your acquaintances in college that, that did have student loans, um, give us a couple of things that maybe either the student themselves or the parents of the student um, don't realize when it comes to either the student loan process or um, even, you know, when they get their check and kind of how that all works and the pitfalls that can happen there. Oh, absolutely. I've definitely seen some of my my classmates take out those student loans, and I mean, there's no regulation really of where that's going. You have that check that you get, and you can spend it on anything. People will spend it on clothing, on going out. They can really spend it on anything, which is really unfortunate because then they're not obviously using it towards education, especially when you're getting like those grants too, which is essentially money for you to be spending towards education. Um, so point of clarification there. The, the student literally gets a check one day in the mailbox and it's made out to them. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So basically a trip down to the local credit union or bank and an, an endorsement on the back of that check and all of a sudden they have thousands of dollars at their disposal. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really sad. People are looking at it more of an, an income than an aid towards their education. So that's also very sad to see. Um, as far as like parents looking at it, they, the check is going towards the student. So, I mean, they really don't know where their student's spending this money until they see, oh, your, your tuition bill is overdue. 
Okay, so a, a rule of thumb, or maybe the first rule of thumb, if you will, that'll come from this podcast for the parents or guardians of, of college-age students is uh, obviously get a very clear understanding of when that check is going to arrive and also probably make your student uh, aware that, you're, that you know that that check is arriving and where that's supposed to go. So kind of have a plan of attack before that check just arrives in the student's mailbox. So Hannah, you worked during your studies, you just said, and that income would go towards your not only tuition bills, but also you have to stay somewhere. You need to have a roof over your head. You lived at home for part of that time, but there's meals, there's all these other things, right? And was that something that that income went to a checking account and you just paid as you went, or did you ever use a credit card for any of these things? What, what did that look like for you on just some of the monthly expenses? Yeah, so I was fortunate because I was able to stay at home that I saved so much money and actually in my savings account, um, which was awesome. And then once I started actually having to to spend that money, I was able to actually just I was spending down savings a little bit. But my credit card was only used for building credit. I never used it to, I guess, just spend money on it, um, which was awesome. So spending that off every month, of course, which is... And that was your great. credit card, or was that one where you were on it with your parents, or what was that arrangement? Uh, no, that was actually completely on my own. As soon as I turned 18, I, I got my own credit card to to build up my credit there. So is the, um, is the environment the same now on college campuses uh, the way it was when I graduated a few years ago? Um, loose, 2012 loose, was it, loose definition of the word few. <laughs> it's fine. Few is yeah. it's, it's it's an interpretation, you know, two, four, or you know, twenty. Um, so is it the same by way of kind of everywhere you turn? There's a credit card offer that you can sign up for and get a free T-shirt, a free this, a free that. I mean, is that still as prevalent as it was um, back in? Boy, I hate to say it, 1999 when I graduated. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see credit card offers all over the place. It's really sad they do target students as they're not quite as educated in that realm, which is just sad to target them. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's just important for students on their end to understand what the credit card does and understanding what those those back-end fees, I guess, are that are associated with that. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it is sad that, like you said, that that's a kind of a targeted... Um, um, push, if you will, towards students, but but obviously education uh, is a good way to uh, to kind of thwart that, if you will. So um, help us understand, and kind of going back to Mitch's point, and, and and I guess tied to the credit card point as well. But um, you had a budget in college, correct? Yes. Okay. So how would you define your budget? In other words, would you define it as a kind of a loose budget? I have an idea of how much money I have. I have an idea of how much I'm spending. So it's kind of, I know how much is coming in. I roughly know how much is going out. I'm you know, positive at the end of the month. I'm not running negative, therefore I'm good. Or were you more of a, no, I know not only how much is going out, but I know where it's going, and I'm keeping pretty tight controls on that. Yeah, my budget in college was fairly minimal. I definitely, since I was an hourly employee, I didn't know exactly how much was coming in. If I had exams coming up, of course, I wasn't working as much. So, I mean, my, my income was changing month to month. But at the same time, I was able to alter that, and I knew exactly how much I was spending in rent every month. Utilities, I had a rough estimate. Um, obviously, I had a range that that was going. I'd usually estimate above. Um, I would always look at groceries. I would make sure that I was only spending a certain amount. If I had to go home for food, that was always an option as well. Um, so I really, 
it was very minimal, but at the same time, I did have a, a rough estimate of what was coming in and what was going out. What tools did you use to make that process more streamlined? Yeah, so I know there's definitely advanced technology for this, but I just stuck to Excel spreadsheets. So It's an amazing <laughs> tool. It Absolutely. So the, obviously you, you would recommend this to students that are, uh, um, you know, kind of on the eve of, of starting college and even those that are in college. Um, you think a budget is, a, is an important um, not only skill to learn, but, but tool to be using throughout the, the experience of college. Is that correct? Absolutely. I think at the very least, knowing how much is going out each month is something to open your eyes and know what you're looking at. Good, good. Let's talk a little bit about housing, because I know this is an area where, where students can go a little sideways, too. Um, when it comes to getting, and, and not necessarily dormitory housing, but, but off-campus housing, um, what are some of the pitfalls you've seen? What are some of the areas that, that kids can get in trouble? What are some of the um, things that maybe, maybe parents or guardians of students hadn't thought about either? I'll, I'll call out one, and then I'll let you jump in on that. Um, you know, I heard horror stories of people where there were four or five, six people living in the same house. The electrical bill or the cable bill or the phone bill would go under one person's name, and then it would be kind of everybody's pitching in money to pay the total bill. The pitfall there was um, if that one person either didn't collect enough money or the other people didn't pay like they were supposed to, the utility company, frankly, didn't care that there were six people that were all utilizing the electricity the one person whose name was on the bill was responsible for paying that bill. So uh, that was one that, that, that became very um, apparent very quickly that you did not want to have your name on one of those bills if you were in a house with five, six, seven other people. Yeah, so there's definitely plenty of options when it comes to housing, especially when you're in areas like downtown Madison. One of them being where the lease is completely separate, you have two different rooms, that was, I was fortunate enough to get a situation like that. But like you said, when you have four to five people in the, the apartment and it's all getting split evenly, if one individual doesn't pay their side of the rent, everybody is responsible for obviously chipping in to pay for that. I've seen that so many times with some of my classmates. And it's just unfortunate, a lot of them, if you're paying it late, you're paying a 3%, which if you are have that high <laughs> that high rate for your rent, it's it's a significant amount. Yeah, and I know just from my, my lending background, um, looking at, a, at, at uh, you know, hundreds of credit reports um, th through the experience, the number of times that I would see a $50 collection or a $100 collection or a $300 collection uh, for a 25 or a 30-year-old that literally dated all the way back to college times when they didn't pay charter or they didn't pay the bill, and that was literally getting in the way of them being able to get their first, you know, $25,000 car loan or their first, you know, $300,000 mortgage loan because of a $50 charge off that happened in college. So, um, you know, be careful on that. If you are a student, if you're parents of a student or guardians of a student, um, make sure that 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 is well understood that it's not just uh, $50. It's $50 that can have a, a pretty impactful um, you know, hit on your credit report five, ten years later in life. What well, else did you kind of come up with for pitfalls um, by way of, of housing? Yeah, for housing as well. I mean, looking for the cheapest option, obviously that that seems great. Um, it's also important to look at, I mean, transportation. You can find cheap housing that's outside of downtown. But I mean, then you're paying for transportation. 
Um, downtown, you're also paying for parking, though. So, I mean, it's really, you have to weigh the pros and cons of, of where you're located for for campus par- housing. And time efficiency, too, right? I mean, when you're a college student, you were working, you had, I don't know how many credits you were taking, 18 credits, we'll call it. Time is something to consider, too, when you're Absolutely. looking for that house, right? It might be the cheapest, but if it's, you know, 30 miles outside of town, well, that, that probably Absolutely, could end up hurting yes. you. <laughs> so another thing that I think... <clears throat> is worth kind of reiterating is, is just very big picture. And that there were a few key things that I think that you did. And one was the transfer, which we talked about right off the top, living at home, and then just being very disciplined on the budgeting side and, and coming up with a plan for, even though you didn't know what your hours were going to be that week for work, but you at least had some sort of plan of attack. And when you manage all those things and did it like you did, you're standing here today, you're a graduate. Actually, technically, you're sitting here today. You're a graduate, and you don't have any student loan payments. So how how does that feel? How do you compare to some of the others that you've seen that they're just over their heads right now, they're working, and the only thing they can think about is just chipping away at this absurd amount of debt that they might have? So if you could just kind of compare and contrast how you feel maybe to people that you know that you went to school with. Oh, definitely. I am so fortunate to have not been able to take or have to take out any student loans. I look at some of my classmates and my friends and they have 30,000 plus in student loans. They haven't secured a job and they are freaking out. I am in a situation where if I haven't secured a job, I don't have to worry about six months later having to pay these significant interest rates. And everybody is just I, I feel bad that they have to deal with something so unfortunate as that high interest rate. Well, and, and it's not a, uh, a um, it's not a knock on student loans or for kids that have to get student loans, but I think what it is is a great example of the fact that you you can still get through college without having to have student loans, and I think or or you can at least mitigate those as as you know as much as you can. And I think in today's society, it, there's almost an assumption that everybody's going to graduate with. $40,000 of student loan debt. And I think you're a great example of saying, well, if you're creative about the path, and maybe not, maybe the path's not right for everybody, but if you're creative about your path and kind of how you figure it out and you're willing to, to work in college, um, you can you can do it. You can get through college with either minimal or, or no student loan debt. And I think that's a testament to how you did it. Um, and we'll, we'll just say from, from a uh, kind of an offer standpoint, um, if anybody that's listening wants to talk to Hannah or, or kind of get more de- you know, information or how did you do it or kind of what were the specifics of it, um, she's at a minimum with us um, through August. So uh, don't hesitate to contact us because uh, we can definitely make Hannah available if somebody is interested in getting more specifics on, uh, on ultimately how that happened. And I think one of the hard things for a lot of people that are 18, seniors in high school, and they want to move out of the house, right? And you probably had to make a tough decision. And there were people that, that did that, right? And maybe they moved away. And, and of course, that depends, right? If you if you get accepted to Harvard, you got you have to go to the East Coast. You got to go to Boston, right? But in this case, you there was some locality, and you took advantage of those. So could you talk a little bit about that decision? And, and even if it was... A, a challenging decision maybe to make as you saw other people going and moving out and living in the dorms and all those things. Of course, yeah. I definitely had an unconventional first two years of college. I was looking at other friends that were moving out of their houses, moving either obviously across the state if they were going to different universities across the country, um, but also people who were staying just in Madison and were still staying downtown Madison, which is obviously one of the most expensive places that you can be, or even just a 
an outer skirts place, but still just moving outside of their, their family home. And they're still spending more than you could if you were staying at home. I was fortunate enough to have that, that opportunity to stay there. It, and of course, living with your parents when you're in college can be difficult. I also have an eight-year-old brother, which, of course, distracted a little bit from the homework. But <laughs> you, it's definitely doable, and you can make it work. Great. Well, we hope that everybody that uh, is listening got uh, the, the kind of the message that we wanted to get across um, and, and just provide um, what we'd consider more of an insider's uh, perspective of kind of how college uh, has changed over the years and, and, and what it looks like today. Um, if you have any additional information on what we've discussed today, don't hesitate to contact us. And as I said, we can make Hannah available as well as a resource. So uh, we look forward to talking to you soon at our next installment of Give Me Some Truth. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.